let me just say something as well. This is a separate point. Um, just because I'm like in a weird mood. and Just make a little intervention, right? Can people stop listening to the Christmas Carol episode when it's not Christmas? I've noticed lo- on, the, on the stats for the listening, we can see a lot of people are listening to that Christmas Carol episode. What's wrong with you? Stop listening to that. Listen to another one. Wait till, save it till Christmas. Songs out of season bring tears for no reason. And you realize our listeners are professionals who need to teach this, not just at Christmas, correct? All right. Uh, oh, I forgot who education secretary is. But whatever. We need to sort that curriculum out because you can't be doing Christmas books all the way through the term. That's crazy. That should be a treat. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the play... Uh, Remember, folks, we're available for lectures if you want this sort of chaotic energy in your classroom. Welcome to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast where we take classic tomes off their pedestal to make you less anxious about reading them. Our jokes come from a place of love and for a specific teaching purpose. However, if you think that making fun of great literature, and maybe some mild swearing, is offensive, this might not be the podcast for you. Hello, you are listening to Save Me From My Shelf. This English muffin over here is Daniel. English muffins are actually made in America. Are they? Yeah, it was invented there. Was it actually? Yep. So maybe you're the English muffin. Where's your proof? Can't get my phone out. <laughs> no, no, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for this. Everyone, please bear with us because we have to pause this and have a probably, what, 45 minute argument about English muffins? This is Place of Origin, UK. <laughs> <laughs> America. Well, this is, uh, we've been off to a salty start. This is what a shit show. So we don't have any letters or recommendations, no corrections today, but we do have a bit of an announcement. At Aston University, where Daniel and I work, we are launching a new MA English program in September of 2023, and it's particularly aimed at secondary school teachers of English with topics and texts aligned to GCSE and A-level areas of study. So we have a couple of really fun modules there, language, literature, and education, and reading and well-being. So for more information, please contact our head of department. Marcello Giovanelli, or please write into the podcast and we can forward you along. And we'll likely be teaching on those modules. So if you want to do a master's and come study with Daniel and I, if you want more of this sterling content, yeah. please sign up. Right, Daniel. Well, what is our text today? Sort of topical, this one. Is that a good thing? Bad, I think. Okay. Um, picture the scene a whimsical world where men dress in ladies' clothes and women in men's. Sounds pretty crazy, no? Imagine that, you know, you see someone, they're in a kind of ladies' trouser suit. You're like, oh, that's a woman. It's actually a man in a ladies' trouser suit. Yeah. But it also sounds hilarious. Imagine that, men in tights. No, it's not funny. We, we take a dim view of this, these sorts of jokes on this podcast, don't we? But Shakespeare, you know, he loved men. Making fun of that. He'd already done the more of Venice. He made fun of mental health stuff with Hamlet. Now he's onto the, the gender stuff, isn't he, Shakespeare? That, the guy he's, be- he's woke. No, he's not woke. He's making fun of it, isn't he? He should be cancelled. What do you think he is woke? I think he's playing with gender. I think he's saying it's all a construct. It's all a performance. Well, you know, it's interesting that we've got different views on it because uh, that's perfect material for a podcast, isn't it? Discussing topical issues from different perspectives. And if podcasts are the food of banality, banter on, my friend. We're doing Twelfth Night. 
weakest yet. Yeah. Goes without saying, we were about to spoil this play for you. The trigger warnings. Now, after Crime and Punishment, we decided to play the podcast on easy mode today, so the trigger warnings are only drownings, pranks, humiliation, madness, gaslighting, queer baiting, and my terrible puns about gender. I'm gonna have a lot of them. Brace yourselves. This is just me being a bit of a granny. What's queer baiting? I don't know what that is. Oh, bless. It's like a queer reading, but with the, the potential of like, oh, are they going to get together? But then they never actually do. It's, it's a bit like a cock tease, but with two characters who have plausible canonical queerness, but then they don't actually quite get together. Why is that a trigger? Just because it's annoying. Oh, oh, okay. Triggers extend to just being irritated now. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm just going to throw it in there because, you know, fuck this play. You didn't like it. Uh, no! No, I was annoyed by it, actually. Okay, do you want to do some background then? Right, yes. We know the vile imposter Shakespeare by now. It turns out he was actually really posh and wasn't called Shakespeare. Who knows? There were two of them. Uh, well, maybe there had to be a, f- a couple of them, because he had a few strings to his bow, didn't he? He, he did tragedies. We've looked at those. Othello Hamlet. We've done the tragedies. That's it forever now. <laughs> um, he also wrote... Histories! <laughs> yes! Uh, <laughs> uh, and comedies. Uh, oh. Funny plays. You know, like, do, you, do you love that when uh, there's some kind of like, sort of obscure Shakespearean joke being made and all the kind of people in the audience go, <laughs> I do it. And even I, hate, it, I hate it. I even when hate you, it, but I do it. Even when you don't understand what the joke oh, is. I get the jokes, that's the thing. I'm like, they don't even fucking know it. I go it from above now. Oh, wow. You're a right little puke. I, I love know, it. Yeah, that's yeah. a great energy to bring I in. I used to do it as a, as a kid. I hated it because I was like, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it, and they're clearly bullshitting. Now it's leapfrogged right over. Are you wearing a turtleneck when you do it? Yeah. Twelfth Night is the name of the play. Yeah, explain what that means. Why? Twelfth Night, it's the last day of Christmas. I think it's just before Epiphany, isn't it, when the three wise men come? And it's like a big sort of crazy carnivalesque festival when masters and servants swap roles and everybody parties and stuff. A bit like the rest of Christmas, but it's the last one that you can do that on. Before the cumulative hangover hits you hard. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Love it. The play is about role reversal and stuff. It's not really about Christmas, but it is about revelry and role reversal, so I suppose that's what's going on. I think some people think it might have been a play for Twelfth Night. As we'll see, it's not really a Christmas play. It's a bit like As You Like It, Two Gentlemen Verona. There's a lot of cross-dressing, isn't there? Yeah, and uh, let's not forget that in Shakespeare's day, as we all well know, all the women's roles were played by blokes, so this play is, like, in particular, this one is all terribly Victor-Victoria, you know, a man playing a woman playing a man. The prefab I have here is, that is just classic cisdirection. I told you, I got a lot of these. I got a lot of these zingers. Keep keep coming. Oh, you're gonna rue those words. Put the rim shot in there. Because uh, I'm not going to be laughing at every one of them <laughs> with the way this is going. Um, <laughs> it's uh, supposedly modelled after the 1532 Italian play G. Inganati. Can you, can you do that better? Can you do better, better justice to that? Uh, it's. Glinganati, is it? Uh, I thought it was. Glinganati. The Deceived Ones. Uh, and apparently, people at the time noticed these similarities. More broadly, the Deceived Ones, Twelfth Night, and a lot of other plays at the time had kind of plots where twins were confused for each other, like the Comedy of Errors. So this is like a sort of mashup of the cross-dressing hilarity and the 
twin hilarities. So he's really just like firing on all cylinders today, isn't he, um, Shakespeare? And as we know, Shakespeare cribbed a lot of his stuff. He borrowed from a lot of other plays. He borrowed a lot from mythology. So none of his stuff is terribly original in plot. It's, you know, but what he celebrated for is his use of language. Yeah. <laughs> If music be the food of love, play on. Because Orsino, Duke of Illyria, can't get enough of the stuff. Love that is. Give me excess of it. That surfeiting, the appetite may sicken, and so die. Um, okay, so maybe he doesn't want to be in love. He wants so much love that he'll get desensitized and get over it. He's heartbroken. Aww. Or maybe he's just one of those people that's in love with the idea of being in love. Aww. Uh, or is he in sort of fashionable Elizabethan melancholy style, in love with the idea of being heartbroken? Daniel, I don't know. I just got here, same as everyone else. I think it's all of the above, personally. Well, it's exhausting Yeah, already. it is exhausting, yeah. In any case, he's mooning about his palace, versifying, getting on everyone's nerves. Because the problem is, he's in love with Olivia, a local noblewoman who, alas, has sworn to live like a cloistress for seven years while mourning her recently deceased brother. Orsino takes this as a personal challenge and goes, you know... I will make her love me instead of her brother and bend her to my will because he's very jealous of any man who is A, dead, and B, her sibling. Ooh, it's all terribly Borgias. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cut to the coast near Orsino's palace and some bint named Viola is asking a bunch of sailors where she's at. Like, she's had a real messed up bender and doesn't know what city she's woken up in. So we learn that she's just survived a shipwreck now, she should be happy that she's just survived a shipwreck, but instead she's lamenting her survival because her beautiful himbo of a twin brother <laughs> who was traveling with her has probably drowned. So, is there is there like a hit out on brothers in this play? Did a brother wrong Shakespeare in 1601? The moral of the story is, if you are a brother in Illyria, I would consider vacating the area sharpish. So the sailors are like... Look, maybe your brother is still alive. The last we saw him, he was bobbing around on a broken mast like a sad little cork in a wine bottle, so chin up. And Viola's like, great, have a nickel for telling me what I wanted to hear about Sebastian. Um, so that's her brother's name. It's kind of cute. I kind of hope she calls him Bash. Is that, is that an abbreviation of Sebastian? Yeah. Bash. 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 It's not pulse. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Yeah, okay. So the captain of the ship is like, hey, you're new here. Let me fill you in on all the details of the local flavor. So he sort of talks about Orsino, who's this hunky bachelor, and the whole Orsino-Olivia situation. And Viola, hearing that Olivia has sworn off men forever, decides, you know what? That's exactly the place I want to work until I can reveal myself. And this is where the play lost me, because I'm like, what do you mean reveal yourself? Why can't you just go up to Olivia and say, hi, I'm a shipwreck girl named Viola. Can you please help me? Is she Bruce Wayne? Why does she need the disguise? So when she finds out that Olivia simply isn't hiring, and I'm like, again, go to her as yourself and beg for charity. You don't need a job. Viola decides instead to work for the Duke. So she tells the captain, hey, take some money and help me transmask this play all to shit please dress me as a dude and help me get hired by the duke as a singing eunuch and this exchange is just packed with details my girl goes hard and it's also queer reading um the first of many go hard? Um, daniel i'm sorry dirty cheap smutty 
Not I won't we, have it. Not what we want. No, I'm sorry. This is Shakespeare. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he doesn't trade in anything like that, does he? There's a body joke coming up. I'm looking forward to it. Ow. Um, <laughs> that'd be fun to be a unit, wouldn't it? I'm bored and have no moral compass. We can make it happen. Yeah, well, that's a bit late for me, isn't it? <laughs> Better do it when you're young. Now we're in Olivia's house. Uh, where we're introduced to sort of the third set of characters, aren't we? So this is Sir Toby Belch. Ugh. Get a Belch sound effect in there right I now. will not, sir. Get a Toby sound effect. I don't... Whatever, I don't mind it. I just like sound effects. He's uncle to Countess Olivia, and he's an all-around good-time guy. He likes quaffing and drinking, and he's intent on setting up his niece with one of his fellow barroom boars, Sir Andrew Aguecheek. Nice D&D name, nerd. Yeah. And <laughs> these guys are really drunk. They're, they're drunk the whole play. Like, Ernest Hemingway would be telling them, will you slow down? Yeah, they're really annoying. They've got big red noses, haven't they? I'm imagining they're like that type of drunk. Yeah. Despite Olivia rejecting Aguecheek, who also is teased by Maria the servant, Belch counsels him to stay on. Largely through flattery, he's like, come on, you're a great dancer. She'll love that. You can do the galliard, the caranto, the jig, the sinker pace, and you can make water. Ha ha ha, that means pissing. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're off to hilarious you know, stuff. I really, I don't know about you, but I really hate all these sort of Shakespearean Falstaff type characters. Oh, absolutely. I, I really don't like them at all. Yeah, they're, they're a little try-hard. Um, this is the sort of thing that a 13-year-old would find funny. Um, and I just picture Richard Burbage getting a copy of the script and saying... Bill, it's great, but could you go broader with the characters? I don't mind bawdy jokes, and I don't mind scatological humour, but I really hate it when it's some kind of rosy-cheeked, fat old, like, squire type. It's like Boris Johnson, isn't it? That's what all these characters are, and that just, that rubs me up the wrong way. And it's also important to note that Andrew also has a reputation for being a coward, a fool, and having a hot temper, so... Why, yes, ladies, he is single. <laughs> so, we're back... At Orsino's place, Viola enters and she is in full twink cosplay. She is now dressed as a sexy young man named Cesario. Uh, so apparently she had no problem acing her interview because she's been working at Orsino's place for the last three days. And she has so impressed the Duke that he, she's basically become his new BFF. Uh, so the Duke comes in and he tells everyone that he and Cesario need to be alone. Yeah. We're reading, hooray! Um, except, turns out, they're, they're not going to make sweet homosexual love. Uh, instead, he needs Viola Cesario, who I'm going to sort of use both names to describe her, just to avoid confusion. Good. Okay, I was wondering how we were going to do that. So, the Duke tells Viola Cesario to go badger Olivia for him. He's like, listen, I'm going to need you to pull a Patrick Swayze and ghost and just make a ruckus outside a chick's house until she gives in to my romantic demands. The Duke also tells Viola Cesario to act out his feelings like some sort of fucked up horny game of charades. I was worried that this is getting a little too close to um, cuckold fetish territory. Ooh. For my liking. Yeah. What well, Orsino wants. I'm gonna watch yeah. you flirt with my woman, and yeah, that yeah, that gets yeah. me off. So he says, "Quote: Unfold the passion of my love, surprise her with discourse of my dear faith. It shall become thee well to act my woes. She will attend it better in thy youth." So in short, you, Cesario, my new best friend, you're a real looker, and what's more, you look a bit like a girl. So if you girly boy try to seduce my woman with your woman looks that will somehow make olivia hornier for me the macho duke quote diana's lip is not more smooth and rubious thy small pipe little wink find yep. the phallus there 
is as the maiden's organ, shrill and sound, and all is semplative as woman's part. So there's just weird homosexual sleight of hand happening in every direction, and I'm already confused by his logic, but okay, your kink is not my kink. Uh, sure, let's see where this goes. Is that anyone's kink, though, to try and get somebody to fancy you via somebody else that is a man but looks like a woman and you're a man and what's I don't even know yeah is that right in I think people, people yeah you gotta write in if there's a scene I want I want in <laughs> <laughs> Viola agrees to do all of this but then reveals to the audience that this is a particularly tough job for her because uh-oh she wants to marry the Duke Blech. interesting long game okay all right let's see let's see where she goes with this okay we're back in Olivia's household Olivia and the witty fool, not foolish wit, Feste. Uh, he's going to be in this a lot, isn't he? He's annoying too. They're bantering about who's the real fool, her or him. <laughs> this yeah. guy's exhausting. Yeah, he's annoying, yeah. Every time he starts talking, I roll my eyes so hard that they start spinning around like slot machine tiles. Remember, Feste says, uh, I don't know any Latin, but I'm going to read this. Cuculus non facit monarchum. Uh, <laughs> You're so droll. I, I, I know. It means the hood does not make the monk. So he's like, don't let my glad expression give you the wrong impression. You know, I've got hidden depths. That's Smokey Robinson. People's appearances don't necessarily tell us about them. That's the message of the play. How um, did he get this job? He's not funny at all. Do you think Olivia just walks around going, mm, I preferred his earlier stuff? I think... Maybe she wants someone around that's not as funny as her to make her feel funnier. Oh, the classic, like, like he's this. he's <laughs> the ugly girlfriend. Eat dicks and I mean, die. I, mean, I was the unfunny one. Oh, okay. Daniel, look, we all know you're funny. Looks aren't everything, <laughs> as my dad always used what, to say. What, looking funny? Yeah, that's... <laughs> uh, okay, um... Olivia's household, it's a bit like a classic workplace comedy. So we've got the jokers like Toby Belch, Feste, Maria the servant, and we've also got Priggish Malvolio. I like this guy, I don't know about you. He is the hero of the yeah, play yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, okay, yeah, oh, yeah. very rare for us to agree, but this play exhausted me and Malvolio is the only one I could get behind. He's like Olivia's PA or something, isn't he? And he's not impressed by Feste. Uh, and nor indirectly with Olivia for indulging him. I marvel your ladyship take delight in such a barren rascal. They all resume a bantering. They shoot down Malvolio. But then it transpires that someone is at the door requesting an audience. Mm -hmm. So, someone's at the door over at Olivia's place. It's Viola Cesario. And she shows up demanding to see Olivia. And Malvolio is like... It's a person not yet old enough for a man, nor young enough for a boy, as a squash is before tis a peas cod, or a coddling when tis almost an apple. Tis with him in standing water between boy and man. Um, first of all, that's obviously like a really weird sentence. <laughs> and secondly, Malvolio reads the androgyny as what I've written here as pedogaronti. <laughs> you know, it's like, ooh, old or young, I can't even tell. Um, so there, there's all confusion in Illyria, isn't there? Anyway, carry on. In any case, Olivia is like, okay, this dude sounds interesting. He has my attention. And Viola Cesario is led into Olivia's presence. And at first sight, Olivia falls head over vagina in love with him. So Viola's super awkward and has written a bunch of prefabs to praise Olivia's beauty. And some of them are really creepy. So Viola's, <laughs> she's like, 
You're so pretty. You better pop out some kids to carry on your hot genetics or else you're a giant bitch. Yeah, that was a weird one. Yeah. Like, I'm paraphrasing, but not by much. And Viola eventually says, oh, Duke Orsino sent me here to give you all these compliments. She's like, you're such a lucky girl, Olivia. The man is a 10. And Olivia goes... Yeah, he's a 10. Too bad it's out of a 100. Viola does some light negging and leaves. And this works a little too well because Olivia becomes completely smitten with this nubile young man and his little femboy face who thinks she's garbage. And I don't like this play because it completely vindicates being a pickup artist. I should also note that Olivia makes sure before she completely commits to being in love with this guy that uh, she finds out his background. Is he is he like a lowly servant? Oh no, he's just a nobleman sort of living under Orsino's roof. So it's okay, we're of the same class. Cesario's hot, he's okay, he's not trash. And Olivia now has a bit of a scheme. So she's like, ahem, Malvolio, my, you know, personal assistant, uh, that Cesario guy, he left a ring here. So could you like, tell him to come back and get it tomorrow so I can explain why I won't marry Orsino? It has nothing to do with wanting to see Cesario again. And uh, man, when this is all revealed, the heteros are going to be upsetteros. We're back on the Illyrian coast where one Sebastian Bash, Seb, whatever you want to call him, Sergeant Bash, one of the robots in Robot Wars. <laughs> um, he, he's twin brother to Viola. <laughs> he's come ashore and he's mourning the death of his twin sister. Wild idea. He should hook up with Olivia and they can fulfill their dead sibling kink with each other. Oh, well, who knows Whoa, what Whoa, yeah, what's yeah. going to happen? His rescuer was a sailor from an enemy nation and he's called Antonio. And he's somewhat smitten also with Sebastian. And despite Sebastian's protestations, vows to follow him wherever he goes. It's a bit Morgan Freeman in the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. Yes, it's not as good though, but... yeah. No, it's, it's not like as that. good. No. Nothing's as good as that. So Sebastian's going to go to the Count of Orsino, and Antonio's like, well, he's my enemy, but I'll go with you anyway. Antonio's really got the hots for Sebastian, hasn't he? Uh, Super queer reading. Not even a reading, it's kind of no, just... Yeah, this is just... They're just in love. In the text. Yeah. Uh, well, one of them is with the other, I suppose. Uh, if you will not murder me for my love, let me be your servant. That's what Antonio says. So, i.e., you'll be killing me if you don't let me stay near you. So, what's going on there? Antonio's quite a weird guy, isn't he? He's pretty mysterious. We get very little about his backstory. And he says, But come what may, I do adore thee so that danger shall seem sport, and I will go. So, there ain't no mystery about his feelings. So, we cut back now to Viola Cesario walking away from Olivia's digs. And Malvolio, the, you know, sort of grumpy old PA, he catches up with Viola and returns the ring, um, saying like, oh, my lady said you left us here. And Viola's like, no, I didn't. Quote, I left no ring with her. What means this lady? Fortune forbid my outside have not charmed her. So, basically, she's saying, oh, no, like, I, I was trying to sort of neg her and get her in love with Orsino, who I love, curse this face that cuts through heterosexuality like butter. Why am I so attractive, <laughs> even in drag? Quote, O oh, time, thou must untangle this, not I. It is too hard a knot for me to untie. And I'm like, first of all, woman, you did technically flirt with Olivia, even if it was on Orsino's A orders. Proxy, yeah. yeah, so don't make this time's problem. You Like, you need to sort this shit out. And then... Viola sums up again for us all of the obnoxious love triangle bullshit we're going to have to deal with over the course of this whole play with her, Olivia, and Orsino. And I'm just sitting here going, girl, a simple polycule will solve all of these problems. So, 
It's late at night in Olivia's house, and Sirs, Toby Belch, and Andrew Aguecheek, they've been hitting the sauce. Uh, we have yet more banter. I'm not going to explain what it is, but there is banter. They talk so much crap. Yeah, I think they dominate the play, though, don't they? I think, like, Toby Belch has the most lines in the whole play. Yeah, I actually, I have a theory about this okay. that I'm going to talk about later, and I'm mad at myself because I think I'm probably right about this theory, and it's stupid, and I hate it. Great, I look forward to that then. Maria turns up and tries to temper the revelries, but she's too late. Malvolio's there. He's in his pyjamas. He's got his little candle. He's got his hair in curlers. He's screaming, do you have any idea what time it is? Exactly. My masters, are you mad? Or what are you? Have you no wit, no manners, no honesty, but to gabble like tinkers at this time of night? Gabble like tinkers. <laughs> Fighting words. The drinkers are like, why don't you snack up, i.e. piss off? Dost thou think, because thou art virtuous, there shall be no more cakes and ale? That's the famous line, isn't it, you know? Just because you think you're, you know, the shit, just because you got to stick up your ass, doesn't mean that the rest of us can't have cakes and ale. So, Malvolio's like, you're on borrowed time, sunshine, and then he goes. He's real intense about it as well, like, the, the energy he's bringing to this is like, if you guys don't shut the fuck up, I'm gonna shove those cakes so far up your ass, you're gonna be picking frosting out of your grave, and it's, then he pisses off. Yeah. I love him. Yeah, once Malvolio goes back to bed, they all bitch about him. Maria devises a plan to humiliate him. I will drop in his way some obscure epistles of love, wherein by the colour of his beard, the shape of his leg, the manner of his gait, the expression of his eye, forehead and complexion, he shall find himself most feelingly personated. I can write very much like my lady, your niece. So the idea is that she'll write a letter that sounds like Olivia saying that she's in love with Marvolio and leave it in a place for him to find. And the four of them all form a little best friends gang. I just think that these are the saddest squad goals I've ever seen. Um, you have Sir Toby, who is so drunk that he's pissed Maria's pants. Yeah, how'd you do that? <laughs> um, he's got... <laughs> he's got a best friend whose blood is made of gunpowder, who's also trying to fuck Toby's niece for her money. You have a mean-spirited charwoman, and a guy who wants to be a stand-up, but is only capable of speaking with inscrutable stoner logic. Yeah, I was just thinking that everybody's constantly falling in love with everyone else anyway in this play. You hardly even really need to do the plan, right? Just in the same way that Viola says, oh, I'll leave time uh, time to untie the knot. You could just wait time to, for time to tangle this knot. You don't need to do it. I feel like you just the, the, the free market would allow Malvolio <laughs> to accidentally fall in love with Olivia. Well, he's already kind of in love with her. Yes, that does come But, up, yeah. you know, knows his place. Yeah. Um, but that's also hardly appealing to drunk logic. I mean, have you met a playful drunk before? Because they're just snapping their garters like, let's get this thing started. So, Viola, who's still disguised as Cesario, she's back at Orsino's place, she's back at work, and they're listening to music, and Orsino's like, Wait a minute, you picked a love song for us to listen to. Are you in love with someone, my sweet little supple baby boyfriend? And Viola's like, Wink! And Orsino goes, What's she like? And Viola, Cesario is like, She's like you! I guess. Um, and Orsino, who has some wily coyote levels of believing whatever he sees painted in front of him, is like, a woman like me? What does that mean? 40? Well, a woman my age is far too old for you. Men should be older anyway because women age faster. Misogyny, misogyny, ageism, and I'm trash. So Orsino tells Viola, hey, go badger Olivia one more time and tell her that I, you know, Orsino, I definitely love her for her beauty, not for her money. And to prove it, you're going to give her this jewel. 
We're in Olivia's garden. Maria deposits the false note for the niggardly rascally sheep... <laughs> niggardly rascally sheep biter. Uh, that's what they call Malvolio. What, what euphemism is that? A sheep biter? Yeah, I don't want to know. So, Malvolio's going to find this letter. She and all the revelers hide in a box tree and watch. I'm sorry, but the best friends gang has a fucking tree house. Yes. What, what are they going to play cards up there and look at girly magazines? Are we 11? Is this the sand lot? So they're all hiding in the box tree. Malvolia enters. He's kind of already musing to himself about Olivia and the gang all snicker. <laughs> Malvolio finds the note. By my life, this is my lady's hand. These be her very C's, her U's, and her T's. And thus she makes her great P's. Ooh. Is that a body? Yeah, find the fanny. Oh, it, is it C-U-T? I get that it's, we're getting into, it's almost a see you next Tuesday sort of deal, but. I think cut is also. Oh, gross, that didn't even occur to me, of course. Yeah. Ew. Um, and by it, she makes her great peas. Like, she pees a lot out of her... Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. Ugh. It didn't... My Sorry. version, my special children's version, explains You're... the joke. Are you kidding me? You do have a children's yeah, version. Yeah, it's quite... I really thought this was useful. And look, it has shots from every scene from different productions. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, he's like, it's a love poem about someone who resembles him, and... The poem ends, we get that we hear the poem, don't we? I'm not going to read it. But it ends, if this fall into thy hand, resolve. In my stars, I am above thee. But be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. You know, i.e. don't worry about our class disparity. Well, and at this point, Malvolio, who's already kind of had the hearts for Olivia anyway, is like, oh my god, it's about me, and he just starts making pterodactyl noises. And then she also, quote-unquote, Olivia, really Maria, Give some little recommendations to show her that he's in love with her or whatever. In particular, wear yellow stockings cross-gartered, so some rather outre socks. I'll be yours if you do that. Malvolio is really thrilled, as are the conspirators. And I want you guys to know that Daniel is frantically googling if there's a steal his look guide. <laughs> there's another person there, Fabian, isn't there? He got in trouble with Olivia after Malvolio told her he had been bear baiting, and he's involved in the plan. So. I'm kind of wondering if maybe the cruelty of the bear baiting is being analogized with what they're doing to Malvolio. I think that's a really good reading of this, and I think that's Fabian's only point in yeah. this, because Fabian just kind of turns up, they don't properly introduce him, we just find out that Malvolio tattled, mm -hmm. and then Fabian kind of hangs around and he doesn't really have a personality that I thought was particularly striking. Look, he's just like a fifth wheel to the to yeah, the it's, going, it, isn't he? Yeah. He says he wants to fool Malvolio black and blue as well, so we, we get the idea, the idea of the trick being actively violent. Also, I don't know about you, but I'm quite saddened by the whole... I mean, we've talked about this already, but I'm saddened by the class thing in particular, them being all like, Aegu Cheek and Belch are poshos, aren't they? They're yeah. kind of like, ha oh, ha he thinks that he can get with my knees, ha oh, oh, ha oh. You know, f*** them. Alright, new scene, same shit. So this is just nothing but filler yet again. We have more people just sort of shooting the breeze, listening to music, talking crap, and then, oh thank god, the plot arrives. Hey. So, Viola Cesario goes to Olivia's again with Orsino's jewel to sort of court Olivia. And they have some more back and forth, you know, Viola's like, you should love Orsino, and Olivia's like, I won't. Love him, damn it. Nah. And finally, Olivia, I say finally, she's known him like one day, she confesses her love to Viola Cesario. And mm. Viola's like, yeah, that's not going to work out. Um, <laughs> Viola says, 
I have one heart, one bosom, and one truth, and that no woman has. No, never, none shall be mistress of it. In short, I'm sorry, sweetheart, I'm just not into chicks. Them's the breaks, baby doll. I mean, she could just whip her baps out to show her what's going on, and we could just sort this whole problem. Um, I'm still not entirely clear why she had to dress up like a man in the first place, if I'm honest. Not every play saved by the whipping out of baps. Tell me one that isn't. Tell me one play that would not be vastly improved um, by bap whippage. <laughs> Andrew Ague Cheek. He's getting annoyed that Olivia has her heart set on Cesario, brackets Viola. He didn't know about that, though. <laughs> Toby Belch recommends that Ague Cheek challenge Cesario to a duel. <gasps> oh, a little good duel. And he's like, why don't you write a letter to him in a martial hand? Make your handwriting look real blokey. Don't put little hearts above your eyes. Or put a kind of bloody heart. Ooh, or like just a straight up middle finger. A middle finger and a heart on top of it. <laughs> Don't want to look at that. Yeah. Belch is, a, is an instigator. He's a real bastard, isn't he? I don't like Belch. Well, especially because Andrew has a reputation for both being hot-headed and a coward. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to rile him up and yeah. then watch him like sweat it out. Okay. Maria <laughs> arrives and says that their scheme is working Perfectly. She's like, Yond Gul Malvolio. No, she has a voice, doesn't she, that I do. Yond Gul Malvolio is turned heathen, a very renegado. He's in yellow stockings and cross-guarded most villainously. Wait, 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 wait. I need you to hold the phone here because so he's dressed villainously in brightly colored tights. He's a fucking Batman villain. Yes. I think this is a part of the DC Extended Universe. Okay, I just, I just want to make sure we're all picturing the same thing here. Meanwhile, Sebastian and Antonio have arrived in Orsino's domain. So, Antonio sets Sebastian up at an inn called the Elephant, and he gives Sebastian all of his money to hang on to in case Sebastian sees a nice little treat that you might want to buy. Also, the Elephant was a real pub next to the Globe, so people thought this was a little, like, product placement thing. That's cool, I didn't know that. Right, you should get these Cambridge schools... Shakespeare books tell you these things. Um, I really hope that Sebastian has to dress up like a lady at some point. I don't think gender fluid is enough for me. I need this play to be gender vapor. Secondly, Antonio in this scene is really antsy because back in the day he did something to Orsino's ships and damaged them. Meanwhile, back at Olivia's house, there's so much cutting back and forth. This is really, it's a very frantic play. Can I just say, one scene is set in... Olivia's garden. The next is set in her orchard. I don't like that. It's <laughs> weird. Why would you... That's like... It's not unity of place, but it's not not unity of place. So, Malvolio is trying to do his thing to get up all in Olivia's business, get her all hot under the collar. But as, you know, the, the schemers, the best friends gang had predicted, it has the exact opposite effect. And Malvolio just acts so weird that Olivia thinks he's gone mad. So he like, he slobbers all over her hand trying to kiss it. <laughs> he, um, he quotes back to her the whole, some men are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them thing, and gives her a whole, you know, hey baby, you like my yellow stockings, huh? You like my sweet kicks? With a sort of knowing <laughs> wink. But they get interrupted by Viola Cesario, the gender fluid cop block. Olivia sends in her uncle Toby to take care of Malvolio. She's like, I don't know what's going on with the servant. He's gone mad or something. And Malvolio's like, oh, great. This is, you know, this is how she said it would go in the letter. I need to undergo the next part of the letter's instructions. Step two. Yeah, to prove my love for her. 
So I just like, I'm like, are, are you not twigging something here, my dude? Because a date should not be like pledging a frat. What is with all this RPG seven step side quest bullshit? Yeah. Like she wrote a love letter to you. It's enough that you turned up in the yellow tights. So there's some dumb scuffling and joking and more filler. Uh, and Sir Toby Fabian and the serving wench Maria are all, they're just drunk as shit. And they're so drunk that they decide they're going to convince Malvolio that he has been possessed by Satan. And um, just guys, should, should I call your sponsor? I don't know what's <laughs> happening here. This, this night is taking a really dark turn. Next. Belch, as if he's not got enough schemes in play, he starts to prompt Agu Cheek to challenge Cesario to the duel in person. So Agu Cheek goes and finds his quarry, busy fending off Olivia's affections, after which Olivia leaves. Cesario Viola tries to talk his her way out of the duel, but Toby Belch and Fabian tell each of the potential belligerents that the other's really powerful. He's like he he is indeed, sir, the most skillful, bloody, and fatal opposite that you could possibly have found in any part of Illyria. So, you know, they sort of half-heartedly try to stop the duel from escalating, but also kind of escalate it in the process, don't they? Finally, the pair draw their swords, but they're terrified of one another. It's a hilarious scene. They're really, like, you know, they look like they're having a duel, but they're really terrified. And then, out of nowhere... Antonio, Sebastian's hanger-on, turns up. And he's like, come on, if you want to fight, you got to fight me. Yeah, so he thinks, he stumbles onto this scene randomly on the street. He thinks Viola Cesario is his boyfriend, Sebastian. And nobody messes with his boyfriend. He only does swordplay with me. In the <laughs> sex way. Yeah. This word is his penis. Yeah, I got... Did, oh. Did, so yeah, Antonio's there. He thought someone was having beef with Sebastian. And he gets involved. Soon thereafter, he's identified and arrested by the Illyrian... Police. Uh, <laughs> thinking that Viola Cesario is her twin brother Sebastian, uh, Antonio's like, Come on, help me, won't you help me? And Viola's like, I, I don't know you. Yeah, so poor old Antonio, who's been nabbed by the fuzz for doing something deviant with boats, heads off to the slammer without bail money to think about what he's done, and he thinks his boyfriend has basically stolen his wallet and ghosted him in person. So this is just a bad day for Antonio. So Violet hears Antonio mention something about the name Sebastian, and that kind of gets her hope up that her brother is still alive. And I'm like, honey, who else is named Sebastian and looks exactly how you <laughs> like in drag? She's a himbo as well. This is a first. This is a female himbo, not a bimbo. No. She's a yeah. himbo. Oh, yeah. Another barrier broken. <laughs> Meanwhile, on sort of the other side of town, Sebastian is getting harassed by Feste, who thinks he's Viola Cesario. When will these antics end? So then, of course, as if by magic, Sir Toby, Sir Andrew, and Fabian turn up, and they continue their fight with Sebastian, who they think is Cesario, who they've just left. Like, they're chasing her around, trying to beat her, running to Sebastian. And then Olivia shows up, and she thinks that Sebastian is also Viola. Uh, and she's like... Come with me, my turtle dove. I will rescue you. And Sebastian, who's just, like, been harassed for absolutely no reason and has no idea what's going on, is like, who's the hot chick? Sure, yes, whatever. <laughs> Are you telling me that Olivia manifested a Viola Cesario who will actually have sex with her? Have you ever heard of a little book called The Secret? Back 
to the Malvolio plot. No, I'm sick to bastard death of these idiots. Maria convinces Feste to pretend to be Sir Topaz the Curate. Yeah, there's another funny... Is he real? Is he a real person? I think he is, isn't he? But Feste's pretending to be him. He's never actually in the play, though, which confuses things slightly. Anyway, he's like he goes to visit Malvolio in his padded cell or wherever he is, and Malvolio's like, Sir Topaz never was, was man thus wronged. Good Sir Topaz, do not think I am mad. They've laid me here in a hideous darkness. And Feste, as the learned Sir Topaz, gaslights Malvolio, saying, Well, the chamber's really bright. There is no darkness but ignorance in which thou art more puzzled than the Egyptians in their fog. This plot is fucking dark. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sebastian is wondering where his friend Antonio is. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, in any case, he can't believe his luck. Olivia has the hots for him, and they decide to get married there and then. He's, he's an opportunist, isn't he, don't you, Sebastian? No, I think he's a himbo who doesn't know which way is up, All and right. a beautiful, rich woman has like, hey... Let's let's make this happen. So he's a good faith opportunist. Who's to say he's not in love with her, dummy? Huh? How about that? You cynic? I have a lot of hope for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. It touched the nerve there. Okay. So I'm going to need you all to stay with me on this because this is a very hard section to recap. There are a lot of people who look like a lot of other people and a lot of running around and shenaniganry. Feste and Maria, they run into Orsino, you know, out on the street. Orsino is there to court Olivia some more. He's decided to stop doing it by proxy, show up in person. Mm-hmm. There was his Cadbury's milk tray. <laughs> He's got his, like, flowers, his garage flowers. <laughs> and I'm just like, buddy... Not now. You are the only one who is having the calmest fucking day in the world while everyone else is in a funhouse hall of mirrors. Then, Viola Cesario turns up. Then, inexplicably, Antonio and the police turn up for reasons I cannot fathom. That was a weird bit, like the moving cell or something. Like, why were they... I don't... Like, he should be off singing the cell block tango with a bunch of felons. I don't know why he and the police are still out for a stroll. He fell into my grape shot. He fell into my grape (laughs) shot five times. Is that what you think? Yeah. And so Orsino takes one look at Antonio and he's like, hey, I recognize you. You're that guy who waged war on my armada in like a canoe. You really fucked up my fleet, but it was the bravest thing I've ever seen. Like massive underdog sort of situation. Like props, buddy. But why would you be so stupid as to come back to town? Wait, can we just, because we haven't had much Orsino and I really like Orsino. Go so can it. I read the bit where he, where he says what you just said mm-hmm. in Orsinoese? That face of his I do remember well, yet when I saw it last, it was besmeared as black as Vulcan in the smoke of war. He is a notable pirate and a saltwater thief. He's great. Ooh, saltwater thief. Yeah, that is actually... Antonio, instead of responding, just shoots daggers at Viola Cesario, who he thinks is Sebastian, who's like ghosted him, saying... You know, basically, listen, I was bewitched by this beautiful himbo who I rescued from the sea, and I have spent every day and night with him for the last three months, and now he's pretending he doesn't know me, and he he dragged me back here, basically. And Orsino starts to unravel this whole situation. He's like, but this lad you see before you has been in my employ here for the last three months. There's no way you could have been spending time with him. Then Olivia turns up. She sees Viola Cesario who she thinks was Sebastian, who she thought was Viola Cesario. (laughs) My head hurts. And she says, 
Hey, baby, we just got married, and you're missing the start of our wedding night. What the hell? Mama's all pent up. We got a freak. Orsino turns, and he's like, fucking qua? Did you, my best friend slash servant, marry my woman? And poor Viola is understandably confused. Um, although, considering Antonio just said he rescued someone who looked just like her from the sea three months ago when the shipwreck happened, she should really be starting to put two and two together. She's just, she's a beautiful idiot. Then a priest comes in, and he confirms, it's true, I just married this pretty young lad to Olivia. Just did it. Couldn't be anybody else. Then, Sir Andrew and Sir Toby come in, weeping and a-wailing, because they just got into a fight with that lad, Cesario, who's actually Sebastian, but nobody knows that, and that's what delayed him from starting his wedding night with Olivia. That scene happened off stage, and Sebastian, who they've mistaken for... Viola whooped both of their asses and gave them bloody noses. Well, this was challenging, and the prefab I have here is, yes, gender is a performance, but I can still boo it off the stage. The drunkards leave just as Sebastian arrives at last. Oh, please, Bash, put us out of our misery, baby. Sorry about fighting with your kinsman. Uh, oh, why do you throw a strange regard upon me? Orsino, who's like looking between Cesario and Sebastian, is like, <laughs> one face, one voice, one habit, and two persons. Which is Sebastian? Olivia thinks it's most wonderful. Hmm, what's going on there then? Where's she? Anyway. We, we know what she's thinking. Yeah, yeah. She's nasty. Yes, yes, yes. Sebastian and Viola are both off put by each other. What is this? A distant relative? A ghost? Come on, Jesus, get a grip. This scene is, this is really like where the play lost me forever. This stupid scene where you're looking at your twin brother who you have presumably known your whole life, I'm guessing. And rather than Sebastian saying, hey, I survived a shipwreck, I'm not a ghost, or Viola just taking off her hat, (laughs) these two idiots start going through a list of things they have in common. My dad had a mole on his forehead. Mine too. (laughs) My dad died on my 13th birthday. Oh my God, my dad died on my sister Viola's 13th birthday, which is presumably mine because I'm her twin. Regardless, they finally suss it out. Everyone laughs. Sebastian turns to his new bride and says, I'm a virgin. And they all laugh and laugh and (laughs) laugh some more. Uh, And people are just like, wow, apropos of nothing. So Orsino gets over Olivia pretty quickly once he, you know, realizes that actually his new best friend is a lady. You know, he's like, Orsino, intrigued. Let's get some frocks on you ASAP. Clearly need to resolve the Malvolio plot, but they clearly didn't have any good ideas about how to do this. So there's some dumb shit about them only being able to get a dress for Viola. The only dress in apparently all of Illyria from the captain at the beginning of the play, but he's in jail on Malvolio's orders, and this is the first we've heard about it, and they're just like, hurry up, resolve the damn thing, we have weddings to get to, and we need to let Malvolio out of the loony bin. Just like, what is, this is, what what cock and bull is this? Yeah, also couldn't Olivia just over... Could she just loan her a dress for five fucking minutes? No, I was going to say, couldn't she just overstep Malvolio and get the captain... Well, that too! Yeah, exactly. What is this happy horse shit? As my grandfather would say. I'm so mad right now. Yeah. Okay. Makes no sense. So, they set Malvolio free and are like, lol, just kidding about the extreme tag-team gaslighting. It was a goof! (laughs) Um, And apparently, Sir Toby, 
was so charmed by the maid Maria for orchestrating a large part of this that he marries her as a reward. Off stage. Off stage, of course. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he was taking the piss of the whole class thing. So, yeah. So that's interesting. Malvolio swears revenge on everyone. He's like, I will fucking finish you. And then he leaves. So they've set up, Daniel, they set us the up sequel. for a squeakle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> squeakle, yeah. Orsino proposes to Viola because she was such an excellent butler. Olivia is delighted that Viola, the person she was super crushing on, will be her sister-in-law. And I'm like, woman, no, you fell in love with her. What happens if Sebastian's a shithead? Yeah. Like, so brothers and sisters don't always act the same. Twins aren't interchangeable, are they? And then uh, Orsino looks at Viola and he's like, man, I can't wait to see you in a dress. The end. And in the post credit scene, can we please revisit Antonio's story? Because... Did that get resolved? And he's also the only interesting person in this goddamn play. Yeah, Malvolio and Antonio would both benefit from sequels, I think. Or maybe Antonio, you know, one of those sort of prequel pre- that you get these days. Uh, Feste does a little speech. No, not interested. <laughs> So I feel like this play was an entire extended Family Guy cutaway scene. What, like that time? You mean like that? You think that's brand? Remember the yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. All sticking, casting. You choking on a chicken yeah. bone over yeah, there? Yeah, What's yeah. happening? Casting, casting is what Daniel would like. He is getting so excited for this casting. I've got a casting a... too this time. Shock horror. Listeners. Do you want to go? Do you no, want to I'll go next. I'll go next. You go first. Oh, I hope it's the same thing. It's not going to be. It's definitely not. So I, I really struggled with this one, but I was just thinking all of this dumb bullshit with slightly obnoxious people who are actually pretty funny, but mostly obnoxious. This has a frat pack remake all over it. <laughs> right. I was thinking Jennifer Lawrence as Viola, Paul Rudd as Orsino, Will Ferrell as Toby, and John C. Riley as Andrew. Yeah. Just lots of funneling beer and bullshit. That wasn't mine. I was going to pretend it was mine, but I already laughed too much at it, so it's obvious it wasn't mine. What was yours, though? Mine is very different. I really... This is all about Orsino, who actually we didn't talk about much, did we? But he has such a crazy presence in the play. when he's, He has this incredibly elaborate, poetic way of speaking. Also, he moons around a lot and is a bit kind of pompous. He really reminded me of Satyajit Ray's film The Chess Players. that came out in 1977. It's really good. It's a very funny film. Uh, it's about... Uh, the British invading Lucknow in the 19th century, but these two guys, like Lucknow is all full of these like sort of whimsical, decadent, sort of learned Indians who are too busy playing chess to notice. But the Shah of Lucknow, played by Amjad Khan, is just like Orsino, so I want some kind of Satyajit Ray retelling of this where Amjad Khan plays Orsino. And that's my casting, please. What is my face doing right now? Applauding. All right, so are you ready for some bad Goodreads reviews? Please. Okay. (laughs) Unpopular opinion. Shakespeare never made sense, and people are just hyping his drunk ass up. One star. Poop emoji. One star. So, would you like some analysis? Yes, please. What was your thing, then? Your big thing? Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that third set of characters. The, um, Toby Belch and Aguecheek and Maria and Feste. 
this feels their part feels like it was written due to theater politics so i really wish that they had fleshed out more of this interesting central story but there weren't enough characters for all of the bit players as part of this troupe of actors mm. so we sacrificed content and relationship building so five more people could have meaty bits of goofing off for seven scenes like in a very tangentially related to the plot sort of way all right yeah that could be the case or it could be the other thing that maybe neither storyline is substantial enough for its own play. A bit like a bad American sitcom where you've got the A plot and the B plot that aren't really related at all. Just To me, I'm just wondering if we had this central conceit, hey, what about parts for the rest of us? Oh, okay, I'll give you big stuff. Because you said, didn't you say that um, Sir Toby Belch, he has the most lines in the whole play? Yeah. It just There's something about this that rings politics-y with me mm, in the construction. That's weird, yeah. And I... I kind of think I'm right, but I don't. I have no evidence other than I really think so. I'm sure Shakespeare scholars are tearing their hair out. Binaries, mm -hmm. their confusion. Uh, you got to have binaries to be able to confuse them, don't you? First of all, I think that's maybe you know you got to have an incredibly strict gender gendered society like Elizabethan England, where women aren't even allowed on stage for this sort of thing to work. It doesn't. As I was saying at the beginning, it doesn't really work now because you would be like, oh, who's that in trousers? Some bloke. <gasps> you know, you wouldn't have that now, would you? But there are loads of binaries in this, aren't there? So there's gender, romantic relationships, twins, the witty fool versus the foolish wit. There's the class stuff. I'm just wondering what that's all about. Yeah, there's also, I mean, there's a ton about the sea in this as well. The, the sea versus the land. Yes, but yeah. then Viola turns up on shore. Yeah. Um, and there's a ton about boats as well, which is sort of land on sea. So yeah, you have these sort of like mixing and blending. Dyad, uh, dyad is established for it to be made ambiguous. But yeah. almost... I suppose that's the, I mean, did I even write this down? But that's kind of the point of comedy, isn't it? In these kind of, these older forms of comedy, that it's about a moment where the established order can be a bit more porous for a while. So do you think then, because I was wondering, like, it, do we actually have binary? We have plenty of binaries in this, but then they sort of, they turn into triangles at this. We have the, the three sets of characters instead of just the two, mm. and they all mix and blend at various points and then you also have the um the central love triangle which is itself made even more confusing by the overlapping names so orsino olivia viola They're, these are names that all have echoes of each yeah. other are there binaries are they undone by these sort of triangles or you know what i mean i like, don't know i think they're complicated by the triangles yeah. aren't they i suppose but yeah you're right that it's, it kind of weaves itself into more knots doesn't it but... and this is sort of borne out with the language as well because he has so many puns in this and mm. the root of a pun is you know something with a double meaning yeah. illyria the setting uh just that's another one isn't it that's kind of halfway between the christian west and mm -hmm. the ottoman east that's probably part of the point isn't it i don't really know anything about renaissance croatia i assume it's not like this but the point more is it's just like a meeting a ground of area. east and west yeah much like with othello as well yeah actually the, the cyprus yeah yeah uh, we have that sort of blurring of east versus west and you know the, the further you know it's sort of a racist thing where the, the further east you go the things get a little crazy yeah. out there and 12th night that's also that isn't it it's the kind of end of the festive season beginning of the kind of purge so, <laughs> the old trope the girl one i don't know if you want to say that <laughs> so is shakespeare the origin of that movie trope where somebody does something admittedly badass and then takes off their hat or their helmet or whatever and shakes out their hair and everyone goes oh g -g -g girl i hate that so much but this happened here and is that where that originated maybe i am no man <laughs>
Oh, I, it's... Yeah. Yay! Another <laughs> barrier broken again. Killing a witch king. Yeah. Slightly dissatisfactory endings in Shakespeare comedies then. So the Sebastian and Olivia thing, them getting married under false pretenses. It's a bit like in A, a Midsummer Night's Dream, isn't it, when Demetrius ends up with Hermia solely because of the love potion. There may be others, I don't know, but I think... What's that all about, these kind of... They're like botched, aren't they? Not even botched, but I wonder if there's something that's almost a little bitter pill at the end Mm. of every comedy. Um, And I thought Antonio has a particularly unsatisfying ending. He's this very active character who facilitates a lot of this reunion, and he has very clear wants and desires, and like this whole rich backstory... And he gets nothing. He's written out almost. He's written yeah. out. Well, he's taken to jail and presumably set free. They let him out, didn't they? I think so, yeah. but all the same, then, then what? Yeah. Then nothing. Back to see, I suppose. I guess. The idea of order returning at the end, you know, every, everyone pairs off and it's all back to normal. It makes me think that comedy has something a bit conservative or about it. I I suppose, and I wonder if there's a certain element of punishment in these marriages mm. because Orsino's marrying slightly below his station. I think Olivia probably is as well. And Toby does as well. And it's like, okay, well order is restored, but at sort of what cost to the individuals in question? Or I suppose you could say it's like a new order that they we've had this moment of flux and that's allowed there to be a new, more kind of permissive order in which maybe yeah. making way for mobility. You're not just, you know, a regular posh person can marry a really posh person. Exactly. It's progress. The dream. In fact, that brings us on to, maybe I should, uh, we can go back to the other bit, but I was just thinking about Malvolio in particular. I just thought I'd say my thing about the figure of Malvolio as like a Puritan. I know I said this about Hamlet as well. That this is just the same reading, that Hamlet, in that old Hamlet is like a medieval knight. Claudius is like a sort of Machiavellian politicker, and then Hamlet is like a Renaissance doubting person. We kind of get a similar thing here, don't we, that... Belch and all the rest of them are like kind of Mary England, medieval Elizabethan hedonists. And then Malvolio is the kind of Puritans to, down the line, you know, because they, they talk about a Puritan politician in the play, like a contemporary one. Robert Brown is mentioned by Sir Andrew. So I'm wondering if Malvolio, I'm not saying Shakespeare's predicting the Civil War, but it's almost like a kind of playful version of the Civil War, cavalism. and Yeah, Brownies. and I'll get my revenge. Yeah, exactly, I'll back. back of you. And he did. And how? Yeah, ideas of love in this. I don't know. This is, um, I really hate the, I don't know if you're familiar with the expression of like, that's not my love language. My love language is this. Do, do you know nope, the love language? I can lang- imagine it. Yeah. The, it's a sort of, I think it's a kind of therapy thing about... Trying to understand your... Mis- uh, like yeah. some people want, yeah. you know, I express love through wanting to spend time with you. I express it through having sex with lots of other people. Communication. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Um, but one of the big ones is buying gifts, and like, you know, I express so I express it through things. And I was thinking about this: how many people spend time giving jewels or money versus spending time with people versus ideas of communication, where a lot of the communication in this is often very false. What is the message about how you're supposed to express love? Like, what's the right way to court somebody? It, you're right that it's like modeling different forms of relationship. A bit like Pride and Prejudice, uh, when we talked about that one, that it's, it's providing a bunch of different models for courtship in the same way that Pride and Prejudice did that for different forms of marriage. Yeah, I, I, providing it, but it feels like it's gearing up to say something about the nature of deceit and the nature of trying to buy people, and the, but yeah, it's and too muddied. Just, well, more like just, it seems like it's going to do that, and then in the end he's just like, f it, here's a song about. Yeah, how it's a play and you don't like, have to worry. Yeah, they, they've been holding our hand this whole time, gearing us up to some sort of message. Not that I necessarily want that, but then at the end they're just like, "I'm tired. Let's go home." Yeah, I just well, we can have this just as the last note. England, 
We've got some references to England, the Elephant Pub and things, but more importantly, why is it the only belch in Ague Cheek have English names? I have wondered that the whole time as well. Orsino, Viola, Toby, Andrew. Andrew, what are you doing here? You know, what's going on? So that's just a suggestion to Mr. Shakespeare if he's listening. Um, change the names. That makes sense. Right. Should we do some advice? Yes, please. Okay. So, I, for all that we've talked about how annoyed we were by these tangents and the banter and these tertiary plot lines, sometimes I think those are the places where Shakespeare is a little bit more blatant about his themes. Because it's not the primary plot, and because they're often kind of crap, he actually spells out pretty clearly, if clunkily, what the play's about. So sometimes if, like, you know, you're trying to get to what is his message more, look to, like, the tertiary plot line, and sometimes they'll just flat out say what he thinks. Yeah, they're like a commentary often, aren't they? Yeah. The main narrative. So, clue to the next episode. I'm going to give you the name of the protagonist, <gasps> which should narrow it down considerably if you are savvy. Oh, uh, no. Dolores. Do you have a clue? Um, no. Right, so please write into our email or tweet us at smfms underscore podcast. And please subscribe wherever you listen. It helps out. Write us some reviews. Oh, it, it's ever so helpful. You, you can't imagine how much we appreciate what people do. He's clutching his uh, little cloth cap. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, Seth, I'm ever so grateful. I wouldn't want to waste your time, but I'm ever so grateful if you do do it. <laughs> right, we will see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Well, we won't see you because we can't what, see what you. Audio format. Yeah, that. Great outro. Smashed it! <laughs> Thanks for listening to Save Me From My Shelf. Our music is. The Overture to Don Giovanni by Mozart and cover art is by Catherine Wu. Our thanks to Aston University's Centre for Critical Inquiry and to Society and Culture for funding the startup of this podcast. Contact us at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com or at smfms underscore podcast on Twitter. And do not, I'm going to remind you, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Do not forget. Thank you.